0: This episode is about the road less traveled. You know, in Singapore, do you find it hard to so-called take on unconventional career paths? We have different interests, different inclinations, but somehow the practical side of us might be afraid to take risks. Today, we have an urban farmer to share more with us. Let's find out about his journey and the challenges he faced along the way. How does he manage his finances? How does he handle friends and family who might not understand why he's taking a pay cut to pursue a lifestyle and a dream that speaks to his heart? If you're feeling a bit lost in your own life, wondering what is it that you're meant to do in this lifetime and how you can actually do it, this episode might give you some inspiration and tips. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Hello, my name is Andrew and welcome to another Chew with TFC episode. In this series, we talk to interesting people with relevant experience and insights to help us learn from their perspectives so that we can create the life we love and manage our finances well. My guest has years of experience in sustainable food production as an urban farmer. He helps businesses and individuals to be more sustainable through regenerating our food system. He's educating people. He's helping the world to be more green but not everybody can understand the path that he has taken. I mean, he has a degree in aerospace engineering, and right now he's a farmer. What's being a farmer like in Singapore? How do you jump in to pursue an unconventional path in life? Let's hear from Christopher Liao. Hi, Christopher. Hey, Andrew. Right, right, you've been on our other show. It's called our entrepreneurship show. And just to get our listeners of Chill with TFC up to speed about your background and to get us to know who you are, tell us a bit about your story and how did you become a farmer? I'm an urban farmer in Mm.
1: Singapore, something that's quite rare. So I I definitely didn't plan to be a farmer. Many years ago, uh, I studied aerospace engineering and I slowly got interested in food. Happened to be working in a cafe during my uni days and then... Bit by bit, I really got very, very immersed in this whole world of food and fell down a rabbit hole and wanted to find out how food was grown eventually. And so um, I did uh, travel. And at one point, I lived um, in a farm in Australia. And the experience of uh, living off-grid, actually that gave me a lot of inspiration to become a farmer.
0: Tell us about what do you mean by living off-grid?
1: So this family, they had their own power, like using solar. They had their own rainwater collection. They grew their own food. So imagine if there was a a disaster or a blackout in the city, right they will still be chilling at home, having tea, and everything will be okay, so they were disconnected from the main grid and yet they were living very fulfilling, very meaningful lives.
0: What led to the decision to move around and did you chance upon this place in Australia that with this family that's living off grid by chance so actually um it wasn't a, a
1: instant decision you know I was a few years i had been in this. No man's land on this very uh, gray area in my life where I knew that I didn't want to pursue engineering. And I was started being involved in, in, in the food industry. But I also felt like being a chef or a restaurant owner wasn't my thing. So um, I actually got very frustrated in Singapore. And I decided to travel and just, you know, just, just have no plans and really just see the world and get inspiration. So I literally bought a one-way ticket without knowing what I was going to do next with my life.
0: Was that Australia already or uh, else? Australia
1: was the third country? Ah,
0: okay, okay. Yeah. One
1: way tickets. One way ticket indeed.
0: Mm. <laughs> Some would call that quarter life crisis. Definitely, it was definitely a quarter life crisis. Yeah, right. I've I've been through my own version of quarter life crisis. You know, asking about what you want to do, right? And yeah. what's next? And is this really what I want? And so you were just searching, and you chance upon this, you know, family that's living off grid. And how does that lead to you becoming a farmer eventually? So the the main thing that hit me was how, um,
1: what a, sorry, let me say that again. The the main thing that um, struck me was how they actually were able to um, live a very meaningful life with very, very little financial uh, inputs needed. Basically, they grow their own food, they eat it and done. End of story. Whereas I, I felt like in Singapore, there was this whole, a lot of fat, you know, you have to do a job that, you know, often you don't like. To pay for a house, uh, buy food, uh, you know, spend a lot lot of money and it was a lot of unnecessary things and people often weren't very happy with life. So if I could be like them, you know, just go direct, have your basic needs covered, your accommodation and food covered. You can build your own house with your own hands, grow your own food. That's made a lot, sorry, it it made a lot of sense. Mm, So did Uh. you immediately become a farmer when you came back to Singapore or how does that work? Yeah, when I came back to Singapore, I started searching out to find people who are doing similar things. Um, And I did find them and I started volunteering with different farms. However, again, I was pressured by the Singapore, you know, the social pressure of monetary needs. And I actually took a detour. I couldn't commit or I didn't dare to commit myself fully into being a farmer. So for the next few years, I went back into food, to do something with a slightly higher salary. And eventually, I, I realized that, you know what? I, I'm just going to commit and just do this farming thing. The opportunity came up. The irony is that the pay for that, for that job was a lot lower than uh, what I was offered many years ago. <laughs> um, but still, at that point, I just knew um, yeah, it was a thing for me that I had to do.
0: Mm, you wanted yeah. to try it out. yeah, And in a committed way. Not Absolutely. just like, you know, testing waters. Absolutely. You, know, right? you drink, yeah. plunge yourself into it, right? So what did your friends and family say? You mentioned there's the pressure of being in, back in this oh. society. You know, choosing to be a farmer in Singapore.
1: You know, it was it was really, really uh um, tough. Because if you go for any social gathering with your friends, they're always talking about, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? Then you're always comparing their salaries and talking about the their BMW, how, you know, whose car is bigger and all that. So, when it came to me, I was just always felt very shy. I just didn't know how to explain to them my lifestyle choice. They just gave me that look. I like didn't understand. They're like, why, why do you want to be so poor? <laughs> mm, okay, uh, okay. And for family, it was just as hard because um, obviously they spent a lot of money for me to have a good education and they felt that I'm literally washing it away to to do a job that is, is so dirty and yeah, just not, they didn't have good prospects at that time. Mm. So yeah, it was a very very
0: tough journey back then. Okay, so friends, family. Let mm. me ask about the friends first because I I would think that uh, among friends, uh, this would be an interesting career choice. Uh, well, if you're talking about talking about it in the Singaporean context, mm. and I thought they might be more curious, you know, mm. instead of like comparing like your wages, you know, how much money you're getting, that kind of thing. So you still feel that comparison? So back then, uh, definitely. I think they just naturally, they can't help it, you know.
1: That's all they know. A lot of them work in banking or in real estate. So they just can't help it but give such comments. Of course, now it's a bit different. Now it seems to be more trendy. And when you say you are a farmer, they're like, wow, so cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I guess with family, it's a bit harder. I guess there's also the aspect. Let me mention like, okay, they're looking at their son doing so-called dirty work with yeah. open inverted commas mm. but do you think that's the angle whereby they are just concerned about you know wh- whether you will be happy and whether you will be well taken care of i think absolutely yeah. you know my my parents uh,
1: ultimately they just feel, their biggest fear is that i i'm not able to take care of myself la. Mm. but uh, i think i've found a way i found a niche through hustling and going through really tough times but you know i I am able to take care of myself I also contribute um to the family fund so mm. uh yeah I think they they have come come around and how many years has have it has it been I would say this whole journey took about 10 years. 10 years. So you've been into urban
0: farming for 10 Um, years.
1: I've been in food and farming. So farming about five years, food in
0: about five years. Okay. But the whole detour (laughs) to to get to where I am was about 10 years. Right. So over this period of time, your family has has seen you. I mean, you've also communicated to them. You've demonstrated that, okay, you can contribute to the family fund, and therefore that puts their mind at ease a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe that's the aspect of like do, do you think people have the impression that being a farmer is hard work? Maybe they don't want their son to be doing hard
1: yeah, work Yeah, that is also a very good point Because like, you know, my mum, she grew up in a in a very uh, poor environment She did go through a very, very hard life So she doesn't want us to go through that that as well but I, I love doing it, so it's a bit hard to explain to her, but I,
0: mean, I like the pain. It, you like the pain, <laughs> right? Like it's the, hard work, <laughs> but at the end, you, you find it meaningful, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. Okay, okay. So let's demystify the hard work part uh, a little bit. What does an urban farmer do? Tell, tell us about your job.
1: It is very operational. So um, I would do things like sowing seeds um, to grow young plants. Uh, I would also do things like um, amending or improving the soil, you know, making compost or adding fertilizer to the soil to make it uh, better and also be harvesting vegetables for restaurants or you know, in personal capacity for myself or family. That is essentially the the production side of urban farming. Now I've also done other aspects of urban farming like business development, you know, client-facing stuff, you know, going to offices and you know business meetings all the time. I've also done the general management side of, of things which is all very corporate-y. And I just, oh, I spend all day looking in the Excel spreadsheet dealing with people. So yeah, actually, yeah, urban farming doesn't just have to be being out in the sunlight. And, and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and even, even the production side, uh, it is quite diverse because uh, you have not only soil-based farms that are outdoors, where, where it is quite hot, yes, but you also have indoor farms where it is an air-conditioned environment usually. And sometimes I do random gigs here and there. Like I've recently been involved in a fish farm, Mm.
0: Yeah, so get to play with uh, (laughs) fish and water. Is that like a lateral kind of move? Sort Uh, of using your knowledge in one area and apply it to...
1: Well, the opportunity came up quite randomly. I had a Mm. bit of of spare time, but um, everything that I learned does um, fit into the bigger ecosystem of what I'm doing. So I'm also teaching in, in a polytechnic in agriculture. So all the lessons, every single lesson that I've learned, all the stories,
0: actually I'm able to value add while teaching. So it just somehow fits in very nicely. As you're sharing, I have this, this mental image of what you described earlier about the family that's living off-grid. Mm. I, I, I get a sense that it's always going back to that and that which you felt and that you might want to share it with more people.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: The, the values that I learned with that family,
1: I think the, mm. one of the main ones is really about um, resiliency. Mm. You know, going through all these really, really difficult situations. The, the climate is always changing. Sometimes you get drought, sometimes you get floods but you still figure out a way to overcome these challenges. And the second value that I learned is just using your own hands and legs and your own abilities to carve your own future, to create your own success. And it's just just physically not accessible to get certain equipment or labor. So they just figure out how to do everything by themselves. And that that spirit, I take with me in what I'm doing. And I feel Mm. like, you know, as Singaporeans, maybe that's something that is lacking because... Maybe we, we don't go through enough tough, tough times <laughs> to, to really ask ourselves, force ourselves to be more resilient and more um, resourceful.
0: Mm. So when you live with that family, you have certain expectations or ideals about what your mm. life could be and you went for it, right? So do you think it fulfills what you thought back then after being been through your experience 10 years, 5 years in, in farming itself? Yeah, I, I
1: definitely can. I can definitely always link back and feel like everything that I've learned back there, I'm definitely applying it now in in a Singapore context. Because obviously, I can't build my own house; it's not uh, physically possible. Uh, but the values that I've learned, I can apply it in in a in our local urban context. And maybe I can't grow food fully for myself, but I am doing it in a in a professional capacity. So yeah, it's very very transferable. And even though. Similarly, like people say, you you threw away your university degree, but no, I think a lot of the knowledge and the the thought process through learning it is also very applicable. Like as an engineer, you learn to create, innovate things, and optimize processes and systems. And in the same way, in a farm, that's the same thing. You're always trying to do, you're always trying to optimize the processes.
0: What do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned from this journey? One or two lessons. Something that comes to mind. I spend a lot of time in nature and a lot of time uh, being able
1: to observe nature. Something interesting is that in nature, death of something actually becomes life. So for example, you see, let's say a bird that has died. Immediately it starts to decompose and it becomes food for the bacteria, the insects, and other uh, animals, and then in that same area where the where the bird has died, you a new plant or grass will sprout, and it'll be much healthier. You know, so in our modern or Singapore life, that that can be applied in so many aspects. Like if one opportunity closes, that doesn't mean the end. It just means it's an opportunity to start something new. You know, if you get retrenched, hey, try something new. You know, um, so. So I don't look at the dying or something or the ending or something as something to fear anymore. I always look at how else can I use it as an opportunity and what are the new opportunities that come out of this situation or crisis.
0: Mm, that's a more on a deeper aspect of the kind of lessons that you've learned, right? Mm. And how do you think it affects the way you view life or your relationships with people around you?
1: Mm. Uh, I think it's allowed me to have a more... Laid back approach because in Singapore we always love to plan, create contingencies, redundancies, like plan until you know, uh, and think of every single risk that might happen. Uh, but you know, you can't, you just can't predict all these things. Like nature can just screw up your plans, right? Exactly. Mm. So, um, being able to accept that plans will get screwed up, and then it's all part of the bigger picture, and just taking some time to to let the the water settle a bit, and and then figuring out what to do. I think that has allowed me to stay a lot more calm, uh, in times of crisis. Uh, so like in this COVID period, actually, I'm I've been like super <laughs> calm, and mm. I've and I've actually enjoyed a lot of the opportunities that have come up
0: through this crisis. Yeah. Okay. I mean, some of us feel anxiety during this period of time. Um, how do you maintain calmness during COVID?
1: Mm, I felt that uh, That time Being able to Be by yourself Allowed me to Spend a lot of time To develop Things that I would Otherwise Not have time to focus on So I was able to Do a lot of studying Do a lot of um, Reading Because I don't have Distractions I don't even meet friends All the time And it also allowed me To save money Because your expenses Drop so much You don't, don't, you don't go out anymore <laughs> To have drinks mm. Or food So it allowed me To focus internally to, to work on my internal self, internal game. So I think that was was very helpful.
0: Okay. You've shared your story on media and perhaps at some events where you, sh- you share more about the, your whole background as an urban farmer. Do people come up to you and say, you know, Christopher, I also want to take on a different path, you know, as compared to the, the traditional career paths mm. that Singaporeans usually take. Uh, do people share that with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate that a few people have reached out to me and okay. they did ask me... uh how did you do it? How
1: did I do it? Yeah, and they definitely could resonate in going through uh, maybe a job that they hate or they don't find it meaningful anymore. And they also either have thoughts of pursuing something else, which they might not know what what it is yet, or they already have something going on at the site, but they haven't really uh fully
0: jumped in or immersed themselves in. Mm. For those who have an idea of what they might want Mm. to do, could you give us one or two examples? Yeah, so uh, there's this gentleman who he
1: has... He's an engineer by training, but his job requires him to do a lot of contractual stuff he doesn't like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, the pay is pretty good, stable. um, And he has been doing a site, a food business, importing uh, products from Taiwan. Uh, And he's been doing a fairly decent job at it for three years. But he's only been devoting about a day a week uh to do the, the side business. The side gig part-time yeah, thing. Yeah, side right? gig part-time and uh it's it is making money, it's not like it's not. And he has built a relatively good fan base. So he has already internally sort of think thought maybe one day I might, you know, leave this job and, and do it. But he hasn't made the jump. Hasn't made the jump, and then after speaking to me, um what I what I advised was look, um do the math and actually are you able to have a certain amount of buffer for like two years? Or, or rather calculate how much buffer you have with your existing savings. Even touch wood, this side gig doesn't work out. How much time can you play with? And he did a said, Oh, actually, I have about two years worth of buffer. And um, that means that, yeah, if I, I can take this risk. So he is going to leave his job and uh, focus on that full time. And all he needed was just that, that
0: little nudge. Lah. That little nudge and that little bit of reality because maybe we we just have an idea that, okay, we're, we're unsure about whether this will work out, but you gave him the idea to you know look at how much buffer you have and for him, two years was enough. They found out two years as a safety buffer, that's enough. What other advice do you have for them? If someone comes up to you and tell you, you know, I want to try something unconventional, what can I do?
1: When people ask me that, a lot of times they also... Come with a very uh practical, very Singaporean thing of yes, I want to try something new. <laughs> and I want to make sure that I immediately succeed in this new thing that I'm gonna try. Mm. And then I ask, so have you do you know exactly what you want to do yet? Or you know, is there a reason why you're you're, you're pressurizing yourself? Uh and, and often you're like, oh, yeah, actually I, I don't really know why I'm why I wanna reach that success so quickly. So for people who don't know what they want to do yet, I would say. First, you need to experience many things before you even have an idea whether or not you like or don't like certain things. And it might be very unrealistic and might be putting a lot of pressure on yourself to expect a certain level of success. And there's, there's no real shortcut in this shortcuts in this world, right? To be good at something, you need to spend time to develop the skills and be good at it. So for people who don't really have an idea, my, my recommendation is to allocate some time and money and headspace to just explore, right? This could be learning something by going for courses or traveling. Traveling is great, especially for me. It just opens up your your, your mind, you know. And manage your expecta- expectations for that, that. It's okay not to to find something out at the end of it. And maybe that, that break was just what you needed in the end of it. But don't force yourself. And that's the first step. If, and if you're lucky, if you do find something, then you can progress on to the next step which is investing some time in developing the skills of the interests that you have found. yeah. And and I think I expect that this journey was going to take uh, a few years to be good at something. If you're lucky, three to five years to be competent and to be able to take it into a more serious level. And this can be done even at a side, as a side hustle. You know, you don't have to pressurize yourself
0: to, to jump straight into it. Mm, yeah. It's not all in, right? It's not do or die. Yeah, yeah, all or nothing. Right. Okay. How do you Plan out your own path.
1: Um, I think at the start, it was definitely part of the UFO energy, just hit in and bashing through and making a lot of mistakes. Right now, I'm at a stage where I feel like I've bashed enough (laughs) and I want to focus my next part of my career on actually being good, actually being proficient in in my craft. So for example, next year, I just want to focus on the actual technical skills of farming. So I've, I just started, I just did an online course on, you know, compost making. And I have all the list of things that I want to study and practice uh, on all these technical skills. So I just want to be very, very focused. Because in the end goal, I, I kind of know what I want to do, which is to help people build and design farms. So in order to do that, I need certain level
0: of competency and skills. Okay, so I see sort of a path that yeah. we can take if mm. you want to take an unconventional path mm. in Singapore, right? You mentioned, find out what you want first, go explore. Yeah. And if you have an, have a rough idea of what you want, go try it out, test it out. You don't have to go all in. And if you're like the gentleman who started a food business, who, who was an engineer, and what he did was uh, he, he went to do the sums and realized, okay, I have two years buffer, I can go give it a shot. So then that's where you can expand a bit more. You yourself, you've done it for five years and that's where you are looking at the next thing right now, building up your skills, being more proficient. Right, so using that, that gentleman's example of managing his finances, looking at his financial situation, right? Uh, how did you manage your finances? So the the context is urban farming, of just farming
1: in general. In terms of there's there's definitely a difference in pay grade depending on what you do. Of course, the the management staff would pay you more, and the more uh, operational staff would be a, a lot lower. Average is between like one plus to, uh, three three k. So that is quite challenging for a young person to. The mm, cost of uh, living is higher in Singapore. Yeah, uh-huh. it is It is quite hard. So nonetheless, like even now, I that's something I want to do. So definitely, I need to be realistic and practical. So I have a diversified income strategy. The day job provides the cash flow, provides that stability, but it doesn't pay extremely well. I do teach and that's a little bit of um, ad hoc uh, income. And I do have some opportunistic jobs which I can activate sometimes like working in other farms or... Recently, I was fortunate to have a filming uh, gig and then some, some random things come up along the way. I'm also publishing a, a book and that will be a little bit of side income as well. Uh, so these are my three main streams. And, and lastly, I do a little bit of investing. It's still, I would say, not enough to, to make a dent in my living expenses, but um, I'm looking towards increasing it because so far it's been fairly
0: successful. Touch wood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, okay, I like the touch of but don't jinx it, right? So you have your day job, you have some side income, side gigs, money yeah. that's coming in here and there yeah. to supplement a bit of your expenses. Yeah. And right now, uh, when do you start investing? Almost three years ago. Years About three oh, years and, ago And you said It's pretty, been pretty good right So yeah. how would you rate your? what did you do As an oh, investor Oh so
1: actually I started out um, Trying out different platforms Because back then I, I I was considering Using um, a fund manager To help me invest And then I was uh, in, in the end I didn't do it Because I felt like The cut to give him Was too much um, and then I explored using um, some of these uh, softwares or platforms that help you. They use the algorithms and you just key in your, your objectives. And then I tried that for about a year plus, two, and then I it didn't really <laughs> get me any returns. So then I just started directly investing in using trading platforms in index funds and, and uh, stocks. So okay. yeah, that, that seems to be doing a... It's been a
0: positive return, steadily increasing like, ever since I started that. Nice. Mm. So yeah, mainly into index funds and um, stocks. Some active stock picking of your own. Yeah. Okay. So three years ago, what, what was it that got you to start thinking about investing?
1: Well, it just made a lot of sense when I, mean, I did when I, mean, I saw the math. Uh, how, yeah, you you definitely can grow your money in a very smart way with very
0: very little effort. <laughs> mm, mm, mm Yeah. I mean, like you're kind of more stable in your, your job. You yeah. see your side income gigs is coming in yeah, yeah. and then you realize that, okay, now you have some money that you can invest, yeah, right? right? This is how you see the whole thing. Yeah. right? So any other financial tips they will have for someone who might want to take an unconventional path um, and something that might not pay as well right from the start? What should they look out for in terms of finances and the harsh realities of life?
1: <laughs> Personally, I have actually had a huge um, change of lifestyle hmm. I was forced to do it because of the income being fairly low. But that actually made me realize that I could live with a lot less. I, I, I guess the advice would be, yeah, you look deeply in your, your current lifestyle and actually, are you able to reduce that cost? Because if lower costs, then you need lower inputs. You have you, you don't need as much income, right? And that also expands your options. Because I think if, especially if you're starting out a new career, in a new field that you're not so familiar with, it does take time to climb that ladder of competency. It's not that you can't start from a management level or BD level, but then you do lose out, you know, having that time to really understand being on the ground and understand the, the industry. And if you're stuck in that management level, if it suits you, that like, go for it, man. But um, I found a lot of value just working through, being able to, you know, on an entry level um, or being a very hands-on on the ground, that eventually helps my career in a much more holistic level. But that comes at a cost. La. <laughs> mm. Yeah, the, the advice would be you probably can keep your cost lower than you actually think.
0: Mm, so really identify where you're spending too much in it. Possibly, you know, yeah. Cut down on your expenses, right? So let me take away the finance lens a little bit mm. and pull it out to be more generic. So what other tips and advice do you have for someone who comes up to you and tell you like, I want to try out something new? I would... Definitely advice
1: to just do it <laughs> uh, with, with some pragmatism. You know, I think in, intuitively people have a strong feeling or sensing what, they, what interests them, what motivates them, what, what gets them excited. And I feel like uh, we don't have enough people who get excited in the morning like, yeah, I want to do this. Because the moment you do find that thing, right, the chances are you end up um, pursuing it much deeper naturally no one needs to tell you, no one needs to, to bug you to do it and you will, you will achieve uh, much greater things with, with that self-driven uh, passion and interest. Yeah. So try it out and there's no harm trying it out. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's, let's talk about your book. Yeah. Right, you've written a book. Um, as you we are recording, it's an upcoming book, but by the mm. time you listen to this podcast, it should be out already. Mm. So what's the title? What is it going to be about?
1: The title of the book is called The Freestyle Farmer. It is a short memoir of my uh, journey as a farmer. Um, it is a lot of funny stories <laughs> that I've experienced during this this time. But I think there's a lot of lessons that I've learned, a lot of different philosophies through gurus like Elon Musk. You know, even like
0: investing philosophies uh, in the book as well.
1: Not so much investing, but just, hmm. um, I guess, life philosophies. Life philosophies, okay. Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of different wisdoms that I've picked up along the way. Um, observations I had from nature. And ultimately I hopefully can serve as some form of inspiration for someone who is going through a, a midlife or a quarterlife crisis and is interested to to understand my journey and how I went through and overcame this crazy, crazy roller coaster to get to where I am. Alright.
0: Sounds good. So wh- where can we get a book or how can I find out more about the book?
1: Yeah, it will be on my website, um ChristopherLeo.com, and it will be launched in it was so published in mid-January but it will be ready for pre-orders in December.
0: Okay. All right. Thank you, Christopher. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for listening all the way here. Stay after this outro because usually we have some bonus content right at the end. It's like the end credit scene of a movie. But before that, I hope you've learned something useful today. If you like more of this content, join our Telegram group, follow us on social media, sign up for our newsletter. For all this and more, check out thefinancialcoconut.com. My name is Andrew. Stay tuned for the next episode of Chill with the Financial Coconut. We do have three questions that we ask every guest. So uh, my first question for you would be, what is one of your core life principles?
1: One of my core life principles is to be like water. (laughs) It's a a very... Lao Zi, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. So the thing about water is water flows um, through the path of least resistance. And water is very soft. And often when you come to uh, challenges, like you meet a rock or something like fire, it's very hard, very hot. People's natural instinct is to clash against it or try to overcome it with ego and with power. But I found that um, just being soft and you know working around the constraints that seems to be a lot more effective uh, in dealing with life's challenges. Yeah. So personally, I think my, my personality as well is is quite calm. And, and I, I find that being able to approach all sorts of situations in a
0: calm manner does allow me to make better decisions. Okay, be like water. <laughs> yeah, are quite adaptable. Second question for you. What is one piece of financial advice that you think should be shared more often? Actually, this. Lessons by Ray Dalio of his book, Principles.
1: Um, It talks about understanding the financial market as a system, how it, you know, it goes in like peaks and troughs. Uh, It is, it moves in cycles and I think understanding things of, in a system level, which is similar to, to how I observe nature. It's a parallel to your death and life. Very much, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in nature, things grow and then it comes to a decline and then Mm. it grows again. It, it just allows you to not make snappy decisions and being able to to see the big picture, and that that also influences like how I, I choose to invest by understanding
0: this philosophy. Well, oh, that's, that's interesting. Mm. I'd like to ask a follow up yeah. question on that. So, I mean, given your background and your philosophy on life and reading mm. Ray Dalio, so tell us more about how all of these influences your the way you invest.
1: Because I'm I'm mostly doing stock, so I definitely am looking for something to go on a, on a. It grows like, grows, yeah. like a plant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I'm looking for that that, that rise, right? So, mm. um, I look at industries that are up and coming. I think in the next say five to ten years. So, for example, I think tech is one area that's definitely um, moving. And and I in a in a similar nature way or an ecosystem way, I don't just invest in in companies that are doing the actual things, but I also invest in the companies that are supporting the companies that are doing the cool stuff. So if you're a Bitcoin company, I invest in the companies that are supporting them, like people who are producing hardware for all these guys to fight it out. Because mm. no matter what, they will still be producing. So I look at uh, the broader ecosystem of, of uh, industries. Um, and of course, then when it starts to decline, uh, that's where I, I need to... When I haven't done it, enough research yet, but Ray's strategy is to... Uh, in his all-weather portfolio, right? It's to get uh, bonds to buffer the, the decline. So both ways, you are ready for that.
0: Yeah, Right, you see how all the things are interconnected.
1: Exactly. As with nature. Exactly. Okay.
0: My last question for you today, what is one area of your life that you're giving additional focus right now?
1: I think being very mindful um, that life is not just about work. So I have this personal philosophy that there are three main areas uh, in life, which is career, uh, relationships, and self, which includes like well-being, how you feel every day. So my objective is to be as balanced as I can in these three areas. And I think it's a daily practice to to be aware of where I'm putting too much uh, in in one area. And if it's affecting the others, I need to just, in the same way you, what you call it, rebalance your portfolio, in the same way I'm trying to rebalance my life mm. uh, in, in a constant daily practice. Thank you, Christopher. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you.